Okay, beloved, let's get into the Word of God, shall we? Romans chapter 13, Romans chapter 13. Uh, If you're using one of those blue Bibles that we put out underneath the seats around you in case you don't have a Bible, turn to page 948 in those Bibles, and that'll bring you to our text this morning. A few Sundays ago, we finished looking at verses 9 through 21, 21, yes, of chapter 12. I titled that section, this is just a reminder, I titled that section of God's Word, A Christian Code of Conduct. That rich and profitable portion of God's Word is is basically a short series of exhortations or commands or rules that addresses how we as Christians are to properly conduct ourselves in this world. And a good share of that section of God's Word focuses specifically on our relationships, that is, our relationships with those inside and those outside of the church. For those inside the church, we are to, and this is review, genuinely love them, honor them, contribute to their needs, show them hospitality, weep with them, rejoice with them, and strive to live in harmony with them. And for those outside the church or non-Christians who might do evil to us, we are not to take personal vengeance, but rather to act kindly toward them and basically do what we can to live peaceably with all men. That, in a nutshell, was Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. Now, today we are going to begin to consider what God's Word has to say concerning another relationship you and I have in this life. Again, we just got through focusing on our relationships with those inside the church, with those outside the church, specifically enemies even, personal enemies. But now we're going to talk about another relationship, and that is the relationship that you and I have with governing authorities, governing authorities, or secular rulers, or the state, or the government. under which we live, by the providence of God. At this point, I want to remind you again of Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Paul writes there, Do not be conformed to this world. Do not be. That's the command to you, Christian. Don't let the world fit you into its sinful mold, either its actions or its thinking or the way it feels about things. Rather... Be transformed, be changed. How? By the renewal of your mind. We talked about that passage. That that renewal of your mind comes as the Word of God. You read the Word of God. You meditate on the Word of God. You study the Word of God. And then the Holy Spirit takes that Word and begins to change your mind. And then it goes on to say that by testing you may discern, you may understand and approve what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It's what we're supposed to be doing. One writer says this concerning that passage, when our minds have been renewed to grasp his will, that is God's will, which comes as we subject ourselves to the word of God, then all of our relationships will become transformed. All of them. When our mind is transformed by the word of God, all of our relationships will become transformed for the good, for the glory of God. So listen. 
In light of that, when it comes to government or any other relationship or area in our lives, we who profess to be Christian need to let the Word of God guide and control our thinking on the matter. Yes? Yes. We need to let the Word of God guide it and control it. Not maybe long-standing beliefs that we've had or maybe what our parents taught us or what our friends think about the government, but rather the Word of God. We must be transformed or changed, beloved, in this area as well by the renewal of our minds. So what that means is any thinking or attitude that we might hold concerning the government or the governing authorities over us that is in conflict with the Word of God, it needs to be abandoned. It needs to be abandoned, bottom line, and replaced with the truth of God's word. And then, by God's grace and the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, we are to believe and obey that truth. It's that simple. Live in light of it. I would say the same thing if we were talking about your relationship with your children, your relationship children with your parents, relationship with your spouse, relationship with your boss. Let the word of God guide and control every single one of those situations and let it correct you. Let it mold you. Let it transform you into the person God wants you to be and how he wants you to interact in those relationships. That is our Christian responsibility and I would say also a privilege. It's a privilege to serve the Lord and to be able to serve the Lord. Let us now read what God's Word has to say. Okay, you ready? Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. We'll read that section of God's Word here, beginning in verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, Whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid." For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, I know you're going to love this verse, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. That's our text. Just going to look at verses 1 and 2 today. So, I don't know. How, many, how long we'll be in this section. Maybe just another week, at least one more week, maybe a couple, I don't know, we'll see. But just verses 1 and 2 today. And here Paul begins with, uh, how many of you are already tense? Any of you tense already? Because I'm just sensing it. There's a tension here already, and all I've done is read the Word of God. And that's okay, that's okay. 
So stick with me, and uh, we'll slowly work through it together. Okay? Paul begins with this command, verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. It is addressed to every person, or as the New King James puts it, every soul, or as the NIV puts it, everyone. Everyone. Now, based on the context of this letter, the every person would be best understood as a reference here specifically to Christians. After all, that is Paul's audience. That's Paul's audience. However, there is no good reason to limit the reference to Christians only. Let me just say that. There's no good reason to limit the the reference to Christians only. In other words, being subject to governing authorities is not simply a Christian thing. Okay? Paul's like, hey, if you're not a Christian, you can do whatever you want. No. Right? Just Christians have to submit. No. Uh, It is an obligation for all of humanity. God places it on all of humanity since government, beloved, has been instituted by God, by God, and designed by him for the benefit of the entire human race. However, as we will discover in a moment, as we look at this text together, subjecting ourselves to governing authority should be especially important to us as Christians. Because the God that we serve, the God that we profess to love, he stands behind those authorities. He stands behind them. You'll see. So as one writer put it, Christianity, leave this up for a second, Christianity and good citizenship should go together. Just want you to think about that for a second. Christianity and good citizenship should go together. Are you a good citizen, beloved? These are questions you can begin to ask yourself as we move through this um, this section of God's Word. Are, Are you seeking? Are you seeking? See, Jesus Christ is king, meaning he rules and reigns not over some areas of our lives, but over every area of our life over every relationship that we might have in this life. He rules and reigns complete. At least he should. He does, and you should submit to that rule. So here we are. We're talking about government. Are you seeking to be obedient to the governing authorities? Is that, is that you? Do you regularly violate traffic laws? I'm just throwing some stuff out there, maybe things you can think about. Do you regularly violate traffic laws or other laws of our land that you think, and you think nothing of it. You just, you know, whatever. How about like, for instance, stop signs. Do you have a habit of running stop signs because you live in California and someone told you that that is a California stop? (laughs) And therefore, it's legitimate, which it happens not to be. Do you speed excessively on a regular basis and think nothing of it? Do you text while driving? By the way, that one was for me. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I answer to these things too. These are convicting for me as well. Do you talk on your cell phone while driving? I ride a motorcycle, well, occasionally. And 
there was a there was one day my daughter was with me. She knows the story. So I had washed my bike, and you need to kind of dry it off a little bit, make sure it's all dried out. So I just thought I would take it up the street, just around the corner. My daughter was out there with me. She says, "Dad, you're not going to put on your helmet." Well, no. You know, mom would want you to wear your helmet. I know, but mom's not here. I'm just a man, okay? I'm, I'm just a man. So I took it up. All I did was take it up around the cul-de-sac, came back, parked it in the, in the driveway. I mean, just literally, just up the cul-de-sac back. Just right up the cul-de-sac and back. And I kid you not, as soon as I get off my bike, there's a man walking across with a sheriff's badge right here, walking across towards the thing, and I'm, I'm just shaking my head going, are you serious? Are you serious? I'm a law-abiding citizen. Just one time, one time, Lord. Why? I, you know, so, uh, but anyway, uh, he, he saw the look on my face and told me, I'm not here about your helmet. I'm, I'm here to do a background check on your neighbor. So anyway, I didn't, I did not get a ticket. And I thank the Lord for his grace and mercy in that situation. But bottom line is this, you know, I, I remember thinking when that became a law, I, I remember thinking how I thought to myself, oh, man, that's ridiculous. You know, if I was in Arizona, I don't. But you know what? That is the law. That is the law of the land that I find myself in. And my proper response is, she's saying amen, right? She's saying amen because she wants me to live and all that. I get it. But regardless, regardless, that is the law. A Christian will obey it and not obey and complain about it, but obey it, submit himself to it regardless of what you think about the law, because the governing authorities have established it. They're not asking me to do anything evil. They're asking me to put a helmet on my head. That would go for anything else. Seatbelts, texting while driving, all that stuff. Beloved stopping and stop signs. But it goes beyond that. There's all kinds of laws that apply even to, you know, building permits for our homes and things of that nature. Do you cheat on your income taxes? These are, if you're asking yourself, I want you to be thinking about that. Oh, I'm a, I'm a law-abiding citizen. I'm testing you now. Do you cheat on your income taxes? But have somehow justified that in your mind. You know, this government's rotten. They get enough of my money. Oh. So that makes it okay then. To lie. To be deceptive. Really? Hey, beloved, people are going to cheat on their taxes. Christians should not ever be doing that. If you're doing that, you need to repent of it. Do you get paid under the table and you don't report it throughout the year? I hear Christians say things like that. Maybe waitresses or waiters who receive tips, but they don't report it to the federal government. You know you're supposed to. That's the law. Do you try as best as you can to be respectful of the government? These are questions you can ask yourself. Do you? Now listen. That doesn't mean we won't have disagreements and, and won't voice those we have We have under the law the right to express ourselves, according to the law, concerning our government, okay? There are ways to do that, law-abiding ways to do that. One of them is your right to vote. But at the same time, we are to be respectful, not demeaning. Could you truly be characterized as a model citizen, beloved? And if the answer is no, does that bother, bother you? Does it bother you? 
If you are a Christian, what I'm saying to you, what I believe Paul is saying is it should bother you. It should bother you. If you cannot be characterized as a model citizen, or at least striving, just like you're striving in every other area of your life, to live as God wants you to live, you should do something about that. Now, the command here is fairly straightforward. Be subject to the governing authorities. Straightforward. In another translation of the Bible, the NIV, the command in verse 1 is stated this way. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. Submission, beloved, is really is what, is what is being called for. Specifically, it is submission to the government, to the secular rulers that are over us. It is really that simple. It's that simple. Now, that doesn't make it easy, but it is that simple. Straightforward. The Greek word translated, be subject, in the ESV is a term that calls for placing oneself under the authority of someone or something. It's the placing of oneself under the authority of someone or something. It is the same Greek word that Paul uses in another place in Romans and in Colossians and a few other places, but I'll show you those. But there the Greek word is translated submit. So here in Romans, be subject to, there it's translated submit. It's basically saying the same exact thing, just two ways of saying what the Greek word is communicating. So in the ESV, in Romans chapter 8, we've looked at this before, just to show you the same word. Verse 7, there Paul writes, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit, same word, to the God's law. Indeed, it cannot, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So we looked at that. The mind set on the flesh or the unbeliever cannot bring themselves under the authority of God's word over their life. They cannot. Therefore, they do not obey it, not as God has called them to, not eternally and externally, because they are still enslaved to sin. So again, not to re-preach that message, but I'm just trying to show you that's what the word means. Submit, so you can kind of see it in a different context. Bring yourself under. Uh, how about Colossians 3? There, it says, wives, submit. Uh, the uh, New American Standard Bible says, be subject to. Same idea. Be subject to. Submit. It's submission. Submit to your husbands as is fitting in the, in the Lord. Leave it up please. By the way, note there is no condition. I'm going to connect here in a second. There is no condition that the husband has to be a perfect husband or even a good one in order for the wife to voluntarily and lovingly submit to his authority. Just as I would go on to say, if you follow this, where it then says, husbands love your wives, I've said this to men many times, there's no condition on that, men, so it's not like love your wife if you think she deserves it or she's a good little obedient wife. No, you're to love your wife regardless. And here, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. That is your call. That is God's call to you, ladies. No condition. Okay? You're with me so far? Same word. Be subject to, submit. Same one he's using here when it concerns governing authorities. One writer says this, to submit 
is to recognize one's subordinate place in a hierarchy. Any of you who have been in a military setting have had this pounded into your head. You understand what it means to submit. To acknowledge as a general rule that certain people or institutions have authority over us. It is this general posture towards government that Paul demands here, that is in our text of Christians. And such a posture will usually demand that we obey what the governing authorities tell us to do. And as I mentioned with the wives' submission, there is also no condition attached to the submission that we are called to render to governing authorities. No condition, beloved. So it's not this. Paul doesn't say this. Be subject to governing authorities if they are godly or if they are Christians, or if you personally approve of them or favor their policies or their laws. It does not say that. Do you see that in the text? Do you see that anywhere? You won't find that. No condition. Remember that in Paul's day, when this was written, the government was the Roman Empire, which was entirely pagan. They were idolaters. Not God-fears, not Christians. But to that very government, the Christians in Paul's day were to, according to God's word, willingly submit to that very government, to those governing authorities. Now, the tension has risen even more. So I want to say something right now. There is a legitimate limitation to the submission that the Bible commands of us. There is a legitimate limitation to the submission that the Bible commands of us. That would go for wives as well. That would go for children to their parents. And it would certainly go for this situation where we are commanded to submit to the governing authorities. And I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But right now, I want to simply continue to consider the command in Romans. Irrespective of the kind of government we might find ourselves living under, the biblical principle is we are to live under their submission. It remains the same. We are to be submissive, not rebellious, not resistant, not disobedient, not subversive, but rather we are to live in submission to the governing authorities, whoever they may be. Hmm? Now, it's simple, but it's not always easy, right? That's why we need the Spirit of God. We need the Spirit of God to, to humble our hearts and to bring us to a place where we will submit ourselves to the Word of God, come under its authority. Paul gives similar instruction in his letter to Titus. We find there in Titus chapter 3, verse 1, Remind them, that is the church, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. It's not just the Apostle Paul, beloved. The Apostle Peter addresses the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. There we read, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution 
whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And the doing good here, beloved, is submission to the governing authorities. Now look back at the text in Romans. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Let your eyes glance back at that passage there. It says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. And then Paul says, For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. In the second part of verse 1, Paul explains why we are to be subject to governing authorities. And the bottom line is this. Governing authorities, the governing authorities that exist in this world and wield their power, do so only because they have been instituted, or another word is established, that's how the NIV puts it, or appointed, that's how the New King James puts it, or ordained, that's how the original King James puts it, by God. Established, appointed, ordained, instituted by God, those governing authorities. Now, of course, one writer comments, and I think it's important, how well or how poorly that power is used, that's another matter. Paul's point here is that this power has only one source, God. God. So the writer goes on to say then, no matter what form it takes, so you can have a monarchy, ruling of a king, you can have a democracy, you could have some other form of government, no matter what form it takes, no human government, At any time in history, at any place on earth, among any people on earth, at any level of society, has ever existed or will ever exist apart from the sovereign authority of God. This is when we come grips to grips, or that's a face to face with the sovereignty of God, and we begin to wrestle. Listen, beloved, every governing authority that exists owes its appointment and right to govern to God. It is by his sovereign will and his providence that they have been instituted. That's what the Bible teaches. One writer says this, from a human perspective, rulers come to power through force or heredity. They're born into the position or they take it. Or popular choice, democracy, vote. But the transformed mind recognizes behind every such process the hand of God. The hand of God. The the mind that has been renewed through the word of God, the transformed mind, sees things as they really are. God is working out his plan for this world, and he does it through the establishment of all types and kinds of government. What Paul says in the second part of 13.1, by the way, is, and it's affirmed many places, but I'll just give you one place. It's affirmed in the book of Daniel, in the book of Daniel. So consider with me for a second, Daniel chapter 5, verse 18. Here, Daniel, speaking to the king, says, O king, specifically Belshazzar, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, another king, your, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. Who gave it to him? 
God did. And, he, and this was a pagan king too. But God chose to give him greatness and glory and majesty. All right? Then in verse 20, it says this, of the same chapter, but when his heart, that is Nebuchadnezzar's heart, was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly. He basically exalted himself above God. He forgot to recognize where his authority even came from. He was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. And this is not, this is literal, man. This is real. This is exactly what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He became like an animal. He lost his mind for a while. He, was, he, fed, he fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until... After that judgment that came upon him, he knew, and here it is, that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he, what? Will. He rules over. He doesn't just rule over the U.S., beloved. He rules over all of it. Every single country, God is ruling over it. None of it's out of his sovereign power or control. And he establishes Governments as he sees fit. Including ours. Earlier in Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, it says this, speaking of God, he removes kings and sets up kings. Beloved, let me just back that down a little bit. He removes governors and sets up governors. He removes mayors and sets up mayors, mayor of your city. He removes presidents and sets up presidents. God does that. According to his perfect and sovereign plan, God does that. He does it how he sees fit. There is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. That's the teaching of the Bible. That's the instruction according to God's word. And based on that fact, the Apostle Paul then makes the following statement. Look back at the text in Romans chapter 13, verse 2. Here's the conclusion Paul draws. Here's the implication for that very fact. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities, the governing authorities, whoever does that, resists what God has appointed We'll stop right there. Resist what God has appointed. Another Bible translation puts it this way. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. Here's another one. So when you oppose the authorities, you are opposing those whom God has appointed. Do you see any problem with that then, beloved? Do you see what's going on here? Do you see what Paul's saying? Do you see the seriousness of resisting then a governing authorities, to oppose, resist, or rebel against the governing authorities then is really to oppose, resist, or rebel against God because he is the one who establishes the authorities. That's the point. That's the point. One writer says this, it is a dangerous thing to set oneself in opposition to a divinely ordered process. And government is a divinely ordered process, ordered by God himself, instituted, ordained, established. 
One writer says this. It's actually a pastor over at Foothill who's commenting on this section, and I thought this was just good to add. It probably goes without saying that Paul is not, again, prohibiting disagreement with government policies or decisions. Beloved, we live in an incredible government or under an incredible government. I know it's got, I know, look, I know, big bucket of problems, I know. Morally, all that, I know, I get it. But we still have the right to speak to this government, to make decisions concerning this government, right? In many places, you can't say anything. So here, if we, if we under the law, have that right, exercise it. Okay, so Paul's not saying we can't have disagreements or we can't, within the framework of our government, work according to that to make changes under the law. He's not prohibiting within the confines of a particular cultural expression, legitimate political disagreement. He's not restricting us from that. He is prohibiting a spirit of anarchy that refuses to submit and obey. That's what's being prohibited, beloved. Now, before we go on in the text, I want to stop right now and talk about what I mentioned earlier, just to give you a little relief, because probably, maybe, you have questions. They're spinning. What about? What about? What about? Okay? Maybe you're even wondering about the Revolutionary War. Maybe you're wondering about that. I'm not going to address that right now, but maybe you're wondering about that in your mind. You know how we got here as a country? Why we're still not under a king? But you know, I, I just sometimes it's like, regardless of what the answer is there, what about right now? What about right now? And sometimes I think we look for the extreme situations. What about just like your daily living? Like basic obedience to the governing authorities. What about that? Think about that. I like, though, I'm going to stop right now, and I want to talk about real quick, I'm going to begin this week, and I'm going to continue next week, and then we'll go back to the text, because I do think it's important, especially because of where our government is headed right now. Now, I'm going to listen. I said with respect, right? We speak of the government with respect, respectfully, but it doesn't mean we cannot voice opposition. I want to talk about a legitimate limitation, that legitimate limitation to our submission. And here it is. I love the way this one writer put it, so I'm just copying it. I'm going to, I want you to think about it. We are to submit to the governing authorities right up to the point where obedience would entail or result in disobedience to God. We are to submit right up to the point where obedience would require us to then be disobedient to God. That is a limitation to our submission biblically. So, if the governing authorities command us to do something, God forbids or they forbid us from doing something God commands, then we have a duty. We have a duty as children of God, as Christians, to resist, to disobey, to not submit, in order that 
we might obey the greater and ultimate authority, God our Father. Did you hear me? Did you hear what I said? But beloved, listen, this necessary disobedience, and it is necessary at that point, it is necessary, is not to be done in a spirit of disrespect or with an in-your-face attitude. (gasps) Do you know what I'm talking about? And maybe that was done poorly, I don't know, but do you know what I'm talking about? You can't tell me what to do. I'm a child of God. It's not. You will not find that. You will not find that in the Scriptures. You find the exact opposite. It's done in humility. But it must be done. It's done respectfully, but it must be done. Our disobedience in these matters should not demonstrate defiance or a hostile refusal to obey, but rather, when we have to be disobedient, because they've gone beyond now, They've asked us to to do something God forbids or they're forbidding us from doing something that God commands. In those cases, our disobedience should simply reflect our unwavering submissiveness to God. That's it. Not defiance, but our unwavering submissiveness to God. And oh, by the way, we should also be willing to suffer whatever penalties or consequences that may result from that. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. We'll look at some others next week. The Lord has commanded us to... I mean, what, what, what are we, what's the primary responsibility that we have here as Christians? Huh? What is it as Christians? Huh? Yeah? yeah. Preach the gospel? Yay or nay? Primary responsibility. Preach the gospel, yay or nay? Yeah, preach the gospel, make disciples of all nations. That's it, beloved, that's it. There's a judgment coming, there's a wrath coming. Right? We're telling people how to be rescued from it. There's a flood coming. Get on the ark. But this flood is fire. It's the judgment of God. That's it, beloved, that's it. You want to know what you're called to do? That's it. I'm not, looking to, I'm not looking to reform this government or any other government or change the world. Jesus is going to change the world. What I'm looking to do is trusting in God's sovereignty and his providence. I'm looking to be a part of this great plan that he has called us to, to tell as many people as I can about the truth of Jesus Christ before it's too late and pray that they might receive him by faith and be saved from the wrath to come. I'm not looking to make this heaven on earth. Jesus will come and make heaven on earth. Jesus will do that. That's his business. He's the only one that can do it. I can't do it. And the church hasn't been called to it. The church has been called to go and make disciples. So, Mark chapter... Don't ever forget that, beloved. Don't ever forget that. If you ever leave here because you've got to move away and you go to another church... If that is not the prior of that church, leave. Mark 16, 15. He said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. That's the mandate. That's the command from our king, from our sovereign, from our master, from our Lord. 
You know this passage, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, right? I don't care if China doesn't want people talking about Christianity. I don't care. See, now that the government has a policy. You cannot make disciples, right? I don't care. Because in this case, a higher authority has called me to do just that thing. All nations, not just the ones that are okay with it, all nations. Baptizing them in the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. But what if, what if our government or any other government we might find ourselves under were to tell us that we can't preach the gospel? What if they forbid it? Huh? And I know that's, well, Jeremy, come on, man. That'll never happen here. Hmm. I don't know, beloved. Actually, I'm pretty certain we're moving that way. Listen, Christianity for a long time has just been something that has been laughed at, okay, by the lost. They mock it. Things have changed. Christianity is no longer just something to make fun of. It's now being seen as a great enemy, as if it's hostile to peace and tranquility and progression and the evolution of mankind. It's Christianity. We're enemies to them, to the world. That's what's happening. So what if the government were to tell us we can't preach the gospel? What if they told us we couldn't make disciples of Jesus Christ in our nation? What if it were to become illegal? Huh? Well, then we would have a duty to disobey. Just as the apostles refused to obey when the governing authorities banned preaching in the name of Jesus in the first century. Acts 4, 18 through 20. Here, let's watch, let's read. So they, who are the they? They're the authorities, the Sanhedrin, the governing religious leadership. They called them, who's them? The apostles, and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. There you go. They laid it down, right? Now we are to subject ourselves to all governing authorities, but there is a limitation. Verse 19, but Peter and John, apostles, they answered them and said, listen, they answered them and said, now you're reading it, I get it, right? You can't tell us that, huh? You can't tell us that. We're not going to listen to you. None of that, none of that. Calmly, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. I'm just going to tell you, we're going to keep preaching Jesus. We're going to, you go ahead and you do what you're going to do, but we're going to keep preaching Jesus. Acts chapter 5, verse 27 through 29, and when they, the authorities, had brought them, the apostles, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet, here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. 
That is the legitimate limitation to our submission to governing authorities. Be the same for wives to husbands. If a husband asked you to do something or forbid you from doing something and said, do this evil, sinful thing, you can say, honey, honey, I must obey God rather than men. I used to tell my kids the same thing. Listen, I am the authority in this house. God has established it that way. I am the head of the home according to God's word. The only time you can disobey me is if I asked you to rob a bank with me, which I was thinking about because times were tough this month. (laughs) But I'm a Christian and I can't do that. And it would be certainly inappropriate for me to involve you. However, you probably get out at the age of 18, so I was just thinking it might be better for you to be the front man. I'm kidding, but I'm very serious topic, just trying to lighten it up a little bit. But we must obey God rather than man. By the way, by the way, there was a price to pay for their disobedience, and they paid it. They paid it. Rejoiced and just kept on preaching. Who does things like that? Spirit-filled, empowered, obedient Christians. That's who does things like that. That's what what causes the world to go, I can't even, I don't understand what's going on here. In the face of persecution, the face of hostility, they stand humbly, not arrogant. Not in your face, they stand humbly and say, we can do no other but obey God. Regardless of the consequences, we will obey God and then take that punishment, and then rejoice, and then keep on doing it. Hey, beloved, we've been in a bubble for a long time. That bubble has popped. Rest of our brothers and sisters in the rest of the world, they know, they get this, they understand this. They've continued to live this out. Listen, Acts chapter 5. I just want to show you, I'm not making this up. Verse 40, and when they, the authorities, had called in the apostles, they beat them. They beat them. Beloved, when's the last time you've been beaten for Jesus Christ? Thanks be to God, because I'm not looking for it. I don't want to see my wife beaten for Jesus. I don't want to be beaten. Huh? But we should not expect this. We should not expect it. Shouldn't go looking for it. But it is a reality for the followers of Jesus Christ who live in a fallen world who is hostile to our Lord. Listen, when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, right? They're whipping them. They're abusing them. They're hurting them. And then they let them go, hoping that would be enough, right? Then they left the presence of the council and they said, we need a plan to destroy these guys. That's what we got to do. We got to, we are going to take them out. We got to find our best shooter and we got to deal with this because they're preventing us uh, from preaching Jesus. No, they can't prevent you from preaching Jesus. No, what did they do, beloved? They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Who's the name? Jesus. Our Lord suffered. Why do we think we won't? And then every day in the temple, I love this, and from house to house, They did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Didn't stop. We must obey God rather than men. 
One writer says this. By the way, we'll pick it up right where we left off here last, uh, next week. The believer may find it impossible to comply with every demand of the government. A circumstance may arise in which he must choose between obeying God and obeying men. But even then, he must be submissive to the extent that if his Christian convictions do not permit his compliance, he will accept the consequences of his refusal. That's what it means to subject ourselves to the governing authorities, recognizing that all authority has been instituted by God. Tough stuff, beloved. Tough stuff. May get tougher for us. You and I will leave here. I bet you none of us are thinking, I might get beat this afternoon for my profession of Jesus Christ, right? Probably not. Any of you? Any of you thinking that? But how about just pulling it back just a second? Do you subject yourself to the governing authorities? When you don't, you dishonor God. Yes, there's a limitation, but I think too often we want to quickly go to the limitation. Right? No one's telling us we can't preach in the name of Jesus Christ. It's not a law yet. It may be someday, but it's not a law right now. But there are a lot of laws that do not cause us to have to consider, should I obey man or should I obey God? Lots of laws. Do you obey those? Do you strive to be a good citizen? You should, beloved. You should. Christianity and good citizenship should go together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we just want, uh, we need humility. We need to come before it even when it's difficult. I, I just think about, for us, I mean, the difficulty, what, is is maybe obeying traffic laws we don't like? I mean, often that's our battle. Or paying some taxes we don't think we should have to pay or things of that nature. We're struggling at that level, which is still a struggle, but certainly in light of some of the other struggles that people have to face in this world with their governments is pretty light. Father, just help us to, to see the truth that ultimately you're sovereign. You establish governments for your purposes. And to the degree that they govern in a way that does not cause us to have to choose to follow you and disobey them, then we should obey. It's that simple. Father, give us, give us obedient hearts. Help, help us to root out disobedience, rebellion. It's, it's really the root of all of our sin. Help us to root it out, Father. Help us to see it, identify it in, in every area of our lives, in every relationship in our lives. May we identify our rebellion. And then repent of it, turn from it, and place ourselves under your word, under you, under our Lord. Subject ourselves to these things, submit ourselves to them, and obey. Father, help us to do that so that our lives might not confuse people about who we are, but rather affirm who we are and glorify you, and be a testimony of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Amen.